You know, we all talk about discourse and how hard it is for it to be civil. And sometimes we laugh about it a little bit. But my next guest in part two of our conversation is going to tell us this is serious stuff and we need to learn it and he will give us tips on how to learn it. We need to regulate ourselves to be able to have civil discourse that is fiercely civil. Or he says, we're going to do great damage to each other, to our planet, and a whole lot more. So it's life or death, what we're talking about here and how to have fierce civility. So join me for this conversation, part two of our conversation with Joe Weston. But first, let me invite you to go to my website, pastor-paul.com. Check out my mentorship program, Deconstruction You. For those of you who have left your church behind, but not your faith or spirituality, Deconstruction You is for you. It's where we talk theology and can I believe differently? Can I rethink, which is my favorite word, can I rethink God? Can I rethink hell? Can I rethink how I look at the Bible so that my faith and spirituality can still be available to me while not having to go back to some church that makes it very difficult and injurious to follow my faith and spirituality. Yes, you can continue to follow your faith or find new spirituality and do so in a context that still feels comfortable to you from your heritage. We'll tell you how on Deconstruction You, a mentorship with Pastor Paul. Go to pastor-paul.com, find out more about Deconstruction You. It is so worth it to do it. Give it a try, and we'll jump in together today. Now, to part two of our unconventional conversation with Pastor Paul and our guest, Joe Weston, author and peace advocate. Let me introduce you to Joe Weston, who is my friend, He's with the Weston Network and the Fierce Civility Project. Joe is an international trainer, author, lecturer, consultant, coach, professor, and above all else, and I love this, an advocate for lasting peace. Uh, one of the comments here on our live feed from Alexis, she says, I think it's too soon for civility, says Alexis. Too much sludge is still coming out from the cesspit. Cover it up. It will stink under the Band-Aid of civility. So... What is your response to Alexis there raising a point about civility being a cover-up for bad things? First of all, Alexis, you're obviously a poet. You write that so eloquently describe our current situation in the world. I'd like to, to quote you on that. That was that was brilliant. It's a it's sludge, and we're going through the sludge. And I would say I see it the same way. If you notice a fierce civility shift in the terminology, we don't say agree or disagree. I say I see it the same way. Or if I don't see it the same way, I say I don't see it the same way. I see it the same way because civility on its own is not going to solve our problems. And that's that's a key part of this work is, you know, the, the title of this, um, Can Civility Be Fierce? I think next time, Paul, when we have a conversation, we should have the conversation, Can Fierce Be Civil? Because yeah. you like that, huh? <laughs> I do like that. I do like because we're in this season of alpha male and you know we need real men and and yeah. i i think it is fierce uh coming from a christian background like me i think jesus the story of jesus is about a guy who was a real badass in his ability not to have to strike back 
against his attackers. Uh, I think that takes serious balls, if you can let me use that that type of slang. And okay. and we have this kind of swing in the other direction of alpha male, and we need real men who will do violent things to keep women safe. And and it's uh, so I think there's a real juxtaposition between the courage to not raise your fist is is really more powerful than the guy that will go to fight anytime he he feels a sense of, of of safety and discomfort. I would say Jesus Christ is the perfect example of someone who practices fierce civility, where they're able to be, I mean, literally like in in their hearts in a way that that we all cultivate a dream of being, aspire to be in, with a with a level of fierceness of standing in their truth. And their power, and 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 to do that in a way where it gives every individual that comes towards them, even the ones who may want to harm, the the opportunity to to to, to come back to their humanity, and 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 in a sense, and 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 the ultimate goal of someone who practices fear civility is to train themselves to be a nurturer and protector, and that we can re we we can rewire our basic primal. Um, um, state of either being um, defender, aggressor, or uh, or, uh, or acquiescing, and becoming nurture and protector. So I would say yes, civility as we're currently doing it is it, it can it, it could never stand up to the lack of civility we are currently seeing. We have seen a breakdown of civil discourse in a way that I don't think we've seen that in, in my generation uh, and. And I have the definition that the, of, of civility, and you'll get an idea. Alexis, this might um, you might find this interesting. The definition of civility is cultured courtesy, politeness, a polite act or expression characterized by taste, refinement, or restraint. Now that may work in an, in an, in a nineteenth um, century novel. Um, in ways, and, and there may be some communities where some people can, can practice that in some ways, but that is not going to stand fiercely um, uh, and match what we're currently seeing with lack of civility and a rewarding of lack of civility. So we need to, and I call that chronic niceness. We're all suffering from chronic niceness. Either we, either we actually are perpetrators of it or victims of it. And chronic niceness is these smile, these like mask-like, these uh, smiles we have that, that are facades. And we can do the cruelest things with very civil words and very civil smiles and very civil way we, we approach ourselves. And, and, and it's perpetuating the same cycle. And the fear of civility is trying to break that polarization of you have people who are either like on the side of aggression and fierceness in the, in the most aggressive and violent term of it, and you have people who are suffering from chronic niceness. And fierce ability is kind of a synthesis, an alchemy of both, that we can be uh, fierce in our civility. And because the, the definition of civility that I mentioned, unfortunately, if we hold on to that, we're, we're, um, we perpetuate the, the same problems. And I always say in, in a sense where we say yes when we should say no, we say no when we should say yes. We say nothing when injustices are happening, when our and our, our the people that 
our families or our institutions or, or that the, our, where we go to worship are causing harm to others. And it requires a deep level of fierceness to not fight that because fighting just fighting the system just makes the system stronger. Becoming a, a, a you becoming a bully to try to bully a bully just makes you a bully. <laughs> um, and that fierceness, Paul, as you know, with with a lot of the things that you're you're exploring and researching, to be able to stand in your truth and live a lifestyle and a way of being, where and and I've worked with people around the world in the Middle East and Europe and, and various places where people can literally be killed for choosing to live their lives according to how they believe that's authentic to themselves. That's fierce. And there's, yeah. um, there's a, there's a uh, story that I always tell in terms of underst uh, understanding this in the context of fierceness. It's a Taoist story where the master says to the student, what is stronger, a mighty oak or a blade of grass? And after a long debate, the conclusion is that in a monsoon, the mighty oak will snap like a twig, but the blade of grass will always persevere and stand ultimately stand tall. So there are times in our lives where we need to be that mighty oak. We need to stand strong. We need to be protectors for, for our families, for ourselves, for what we believe in. And there are also times when we have to practice yielding and adapting. And that doesn't make us weak. That doesn't mean that that doesn't make us uh, uh, sub submissive. There's actually a lot of strength in that. And I would say, if I may continue, <laughs> that it's in that softness that there's power. That's the martial arts aspect of it. That's a lot of the um, water, for instance, the way rivers flow. They, they create deep, uh, deep rivers. And that what, what, uh, uh, the more we practice that, the more we can find that we can deal with other people's reactivity and do it in a way where we can still stay engaged. I need your help to support the ministry. I, I don't pass the tithe plate. I don't take up offerings. I don't take pledges from big donors who can tell us what to do and what not to do. I just want to be in partnership with you. Even $5.99 can means the world to help me continue to build this community.
and this discussion for the world that God is not mad at you. Would you check it out? Pastor-Paul.com. We've been talking about uh, fierce civility and, as a way to deal with the root causes of polarization in our culture. And you alluded to this, but is this a new thing? I mean, Aaron Burr and Alexander Hamilton shot guns at each other over disputes. Uh, you know, we've had, but but is it worse today? So sometimes we feel like this is the worst it's ever been. Is it a new thing? And is it an international thing? Or is it kind of uniquely American, or at least more American, perhaps, than some other places? Well, I would say America is always going to um, big gulp it. So uh, that's so that's uh, so yeah it is and 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 having have, being a being a citizen also of the Netherlands having lived there for many years and and talking to a lot of my European friends the level of polarization has is is off the charts at the moment and and what I and for me polarization is about stagnation it's like two rams um, ramming into each other trying to I'm right no I'm right no I'm going to win and you're going to lose and we get no I'm good and you're bad. And we get caught in this and all that energy. If you think the Rams, if they, they don't do this, but if they were to do this, just keep ramming, they would exhaust themselves. And I feel like we're doing that. Over the last certainly 50 or 60 years, but certainly the last decade or two, we've seen an increase in, in, in an ongoing breakdown of civil discourse, civic engagement, independent critical thinking, and personal agency which is what is causing the anxiety and 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 our and our hearts are shut down i think a lot of it has to do with um, economically that many of us are now living in communities where we don't engage with people who are different anymore the pandemic exacerbated that because we weren't being out and engaging with people who were different um, politics has become polarized the media has kept us in this state of constant polarization and dysregulation and therefore, this idea, going back to Alexa's question, this idea of civility, it's, it's almost like something from the past, this idea. And, and unfortunately, what I think is that those of us who do hold on to this idea of civility, it's become elitist, which is only creates more suspicion. Um, and it's interesting, I start my book with a quote from Eleanor Roosevelt that she said in 1960, at the height of the, of, of the nuclear threat, between two superpowers, the United States and the Soviet Union. Interesting, the cycles we're in. And, yeah. and she said, uh, we have to face the fact that either all of us are going to die together or we are going to have to learn to live together. And if we are to live together, we have to talk. And those are wise words. And basically, fear civility is answering that call. I offer an upgraded um, communication model um, that that can meet the lack of civility and breakdown of civil and civil discourse and personal agency, um, so that we can get back to each other. And for me, there's a real spiritual component to this. You know, you know, when I look at the world system and see how um, I, I refer to the world system as the global heart, hmm. and and our global heart is not well. It's really not well. Um, it's total, and the and the cause of that. I'm not a doctor, but I have my prognosis. Is that um, we have created a world system we where we are technologically overfed, 
and spiritually malnourished. Mm. And that therefore, as any good doctor, we need a balanced diet of both technological nourishment as well as spiritual nourishment. And again, <clears throat> that's really key what I'm saying, that I'm not saying we just need one or the other. We, we need, we, we, we benefit from the technology. And for me, that's about the intellect, all the things, you know, economics and into the intellect. We need the intellect. We need to cultivate that. However, it's out of balance. We're, over, we're gorging ourselves in that. And we're malnourished in the spiritual things, which is about cultivating more humanity, becoming the nurturer and protector, and uh, qualities of the heart, which include um, wisdom. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, well, I don't know what to say about that, but what are, you, what are your thoughts on that? So much to say. And when religion versus spirituality, I think is important to, to look at here because uh, I come from a very religious, Christian, evangelical background. And at some point I found my spiritual pursuit through evangelicalism actually made my heart more sick toward other people. It, it, it brought its own exclusiveness and its own uh, supremacy and made it difficult for me to connect with others and then a, a really exclusive view of God. And really this sort of angry God made me angry too, just like I found right-wing media was making me angry. So uh, I'm finding in this season, and I know you are a practitioner of spiritual practices that have influenced me in, in a lot of ways, and finding a better route of spirituality that draws me. I think I, I think I define it like, is it drawing me to my better self? Is it drawing me to connect with love and goodness that is beyond my own ability to be good and to love others, then that is a true spirituality to pursue. And if religion gets into the mix sometimes, I think it takes us away from being drawn to love and goodness, to being more, again, back into that echo chamber life of we've got it right and we need to convince everybody else that we're right because, because they're wrong. So it can be its own exclusion if we're not careful. Of course, you know, and, and that, comes right into how I would look at, if I were to redefine civility, I, I just redefine fierceness of what, what it's, you know, and what I want to say about that is that wherever we are completely rigid, like that oak tree, we will snap, you know, if we're rigid, like um, physically, emotionally, mentally, even spiritually, we're easily susceptible to, to, to others and, and, we, and we basically snap. But um, in terms of civility and the spiritual nourishment, it, you know, I was I could trace that with my studies. I'm not saying I'm a I'm a I'm a I'm a scholar in this, but of all different religions and all different spiritual traditions and ethical traditions and native indigenous traditions, I I came up with five common highest guiding principles mm. that you could extract from all of them to get and in a sense to get rid of all the noise. And if we could just resonate from that, that to me is what true civility is. And those five um, highest common guiding principles are respect, dignity, which to me is about being valued, belonging, freedom, and collaboration. Hmm. And if 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 so, if you read if you if you follow the teachings of Jesus Christ, if or any any great teacher or any great uh, uh, spiritual being. To me, that's at the essence. I'm not saying I'm right, 
that's just how I've interpreted Every People yeah. might have their own view of that. But the importance in that is that that's what will cultivate our spiritual nourishment, is if we can uh, cultivate respect, dignity, belonging, freedom, and collaboration, and not just for ourselves, and not expect it, like feel like we are privileged and we deserve it, but to realize that it's it's a it's it's a blessing that we can feel respected, that we can have dignity, that we belong, that we are free, and that we can collect. It's a blessing, and you get and you cultivate the highest level of those principles when you realize if I can feel the the blessings of that, then I will commit my life on a daily basis to make sure that. Every human being on this planet has access to feel to belonging, to dignity, to respect, that they determine what for them means it means to be free, and that we learn how to collaborate and work together. That to me is what a spiritual, what spiritual nourishment is. That's to me the fierceness in fierce civility, to become a nurturer and protector, to realize I have privilege. I have access to information, power, and resources. If I don't, then I want to find a way to cultivate that. If I do, then it's my obligation to 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 support others in getting that as well. Yeah, because that that belonging is such a natural human, not just desire, but but need. I, you know, we are pack animals, and but if belonging becomes agreement around a set of rules or ideas or ideologies, uh, that's when it can become really damaging. So I think that collaboration is is really important. Um, and in Christianity, we use the two highest commands, you know, love God, love your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus described who is your neighbor as that person from another race, another religion, another nationality that you don't think worthy of favor as much as you worthy of it. And you've coined your own term of love thy stranger. So what, how do, what does love thy stranger mean exactly? Oh, I love that you brought that up. So so uh, in, in one of the chapters, so the key to the work, if we want, if we want to be part of the, the movement of fear civility, of being nurturers and protectors and breaking the gridlock of the polarization, getting more of us back to our hearts, where we can really engage with each other, one of the key concepts of that is finding surprises, finding alliances in surprising places. Because I've been saying this for so many years in all of my lectures and workshops and, and, and discussions, if only hanging out with people who already agree with you was going to solve our world problems, we would have already solved our world problems. So therefore, the conclusion is, if we want to solve our world problems that's more equitable and sustainable and inclusive um, for everyone, then we have to have the courage and the skills to reach out and connect with people who are different and hold different views in a way that's safe and that can get to deeper levels of correct collaboration. And if you're doing it from your humanity to the humanity of others, you cut through the mental constructs of religion and political beliefs and all of that, and you get back to your humanity and their humanity, and suddenly you're seeing a human being who also wants to advocate for more civility and is tired of this mess. And that's how you build new alliances. So it starts with um, the concept of love thy neighbor, but expanding that globally. We can no longer be isolationists. 
we can no longer just be in our own communities and, and, and think that other, other people's suffering is not going to eventually affect us. It's, it's naive. I, I don't know if that sounds judgmental, I'm sorry, but I just think it's, it's naive, uh, short-sighted. So we have to, and, uh, and, and, and so love thy neighbor when it was first presented, I'm going to assume a couple of millennia ago or more, it was for a community that maybe had a couple of dozen people or more. So that made sense. We have to expand it to include every human being on this planet. However, so it's love thy neighbor. We have to cultivate that. But sometimes we get into this polarity of how do we then reach out to people who are different? And of course, there are teachings in, in love thy enemy. I don't know if that's such a healthy thing. That's also can be like a false sense of chronic niceness. Why should I turn the other cheek? And 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 especially I, I, if I come, I'm not speaking for myself, but for people who come from oppressed societies. Why should I uh, take a, turn a love an enemy, someone who literally thinks I'm less than them, I, or, or or who has harmed me in some way? But again, you you get in this polarization of loved one and and enemy. And and to break again the power, the pivot, you need some kind of shift. So I introduced that if you that we don't we should stop or consider not doing it anymore to lump all people into the binary of loved one and enemy. That's what's maintaining the stagnation of the polarization. If you introduce a third, you shake it up and you have more options. So introduce the concept of stranger. The beauty of that is that if you do the math with eight billion people on the planet, you can never tell me that I don't. I don't have any strangers that I can engage with. There, there, there's got to be at least 7 billion of them that you could engage with. And it's in that that um, we build small bridges. We don't have to reach out to the ones who are the most extreme that where we could get harmed. And in fact, engaging with them and trying to find commonality can only just exacerbate the problem. But there are so many people who aren't so triggering that are strangers. They're 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 your neighbors. They're they're people in the supermarket. They're they're on the other side of the world. If we can commit to looking at people as strangers and realizing that that may not threaten up us as much, we can build those alliances, which suddenly makes uh, that's a way of bringing us more into balance with technological and spiritual nourishment. Yeah. I think, and fierce civility is such a great term for it, you know, in the in the teachings of turn the other cheek. And, you know, Jesus is quoted in biblical text as saying, if forced to go a mile, go two. Um, you know, it, it's, it's turn the status quo on its head if status quo isn't working. And, and the, and the, the concept of going two miles was a Roman law that as the, the Roman oppressors had taken over Palestine, um, they, a soldier could force anyone to carry their equipment for them for one mile. And, and so there was this idea of like, well, I'll carry it for a mile, but then I'll tell you what an SOB you are. And, and Jesus is saying the more powerful position is to say, oh, you want me to go a mile? I'll go two. And then we could start to translate into that. Well, maybe through me standing in my power, even as I'm being oppressed, I start to have an impact on the oppressor. I start to show them 
the, that I'm not nearly the threat that they think I am. And we start to break down some of these barriers because I've found it. Uh, I've lost a lot of Christian friends and am now very close friends with people I thought I could never be friends with before. Because once you get across the table from somebody or on a Zoom together with somebody, uh, and I saw President Biden say this about Dylan Mulroney, a trans woman, the other day, like, when you sit together, all of a sudden you're like, this is this is who Fox News is telling me to be afraid of? This is yeah. who my pastor is saying is evil and going to hell? They seem pretty kind. They seem pretty cool. And so I think you're right that none of that is like slaves, you know, allow your master to beat you and say, thank you, give me more. But it is like stand in your power and let them see that you are human and worthwhile, that you value yourself. And I really think that's that is the fierceness of that teaching. Well, first of all, you brought it all the way back to who's telling your story, right? So when you right. do that, you uh, you realize, wow, the story I've been told that they're evil or that they're bad or whatever, they're going to harm me or or I'm going to be contaminated by their viewpoints or whatever. It's just not true. You won't know that until you investigate. And and it, and it, 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 and and you're doing that so beautifully. And and in, in essence, and what you do do so beautifully, Paul, is Imagine if we just thought of ourselves as creating spaces of refuge, that wherever we go, when we're sitting in a restaurant, when we're whatever, that we create safe space. And that, and that so that people can show up authentically and show us who they truly are. And what that does is it cuts through the mental constructs. All of our problems at this moment, I would say, if we're stuck in our heads and the intellect, are caused all of them. Many of them, or you could view it this way, by our mental constructs is what you're saying. If we don't examine it, we just believe we we, we believe that we're separate. It it's you can I, if we have more time we can show how we each every each each creature on this planet is completely and utterly interdependent and interconnected. There's no doubt in my mind about that. Every mm. creature in nature, as human beings. And the idea that we're separate is simply a mental construct. So since it's simply a mental construct, we have the power to change that mental construct and come up with a new one that says that we are all interrelated in some way, some more than others. I don't have to like you. Uh, I don't have to see it the same way you do. However, I need to acknowledge that we're, we're all on this together. There's a lot of what, what um, Eleanor Roosevelt said, we're either all gonna die together or we're gonna learn to live together. And that's uh, where we are right now. And that's, it's, it's love your neighbor as yourself. It, 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 there is a, a self-love involved in, in that command. And, uh, you know, there's just so many examples of this. I remember watching a documentary about Zero Dark Thirty, about the uh, American uh, killing of Osama bin Laden. and and, I, and a CIA agent uh, said, you know, the only way we ever solve the Middle East crisis or whatever the term was that he uses, we have to stop bombing things. We, ha we have to stop bombing things over there because every time we bomb something, we prove to the people of that part of the world that we are what right. Al-Qaeda is saying we are. We, right. we verify their terms and parents start more parents start giving their kids over to terrorist groups 
And so there does have to be a point in the Hatfields and McCoys. Somebody has to stop killing people from the other side or eventually you're just all gone and there's no peace in living in all of that. So yes, there is a power and a fierceness in, in laying down our fists and uh, trying to use our strength of loving ourselves to love people that maybe we feel like we can't love otherwise to try to come to some sort of peace that gives us all the space to live well. That's beautiful, Paul. You speak that so beautifully. Can I read a couple of quotes that that in this time? Um, And I quote that I have this in my book, the teachings of Jesus Christ, love thy neighbor as you would love thyself. The teachings of the Buddha, look for your own happiness and you find suffering. Seek the hardship of helping others and you experience true happiness. The teachings of Muhammad, no one of you is a believer until he desires for his brother that which he desires for himself. The teachings of the Jewish mystics, what is hateful to you, do not do to your fellow man. That is entire law. All the rest is commentary. So yeah, commonality. There's there's a common theme running through all of that. It's a universal principle, isn't it? Yeah. Wow. Let's let's finish with this. And I've gone a little over the time I told you we were going to go, and I hope that's okay. But um, what what would you say is one thing that people who are hanging out here with us can do starting today to make a difference in all of this turmoil in in our culture right now? <clears throat> I would say um, reach out to, to to trust your heart. And your intuition. If you're if you're just feeling, wow, I, um, I've been thinking this person's been popping into my head. Send them a text, just a heart emoji, because you don't know that could be a they could be really struggling, and they could be even considering taking their lives in that moment. And that one text might shift that all for them. Think about ways of becoming a nurturer and protector. Think about and 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 to expand that. What can you do if you're if you're in a on public transportation or in a public place? Turn, take out your earbuds and listen and see what's around you, and uh, and and engage with others. And if it feels safe, engage with people you don't know. Um, make sure that you are taking care of yourself. Cultivate resilience. Um, find ways to renew your energy. If you're listening to this and if you and if you have some spiritual practice or committed to something, the world needs you right now. How can you cultivate your own personal agency and find ways to, to um, replenish and nurture yourself? I teach a lot. I teach a course on stress reduction and resilience and, 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 and with people who suffer from burnout and, and high levels of chronic stress. And I always say I find it so funny that we will panic if we walk into a public place and we look at our phone and we have 2% on our phone, we will panic to run to find a place we can plug in our charger. If we had that same level of panic when we, when our battery, our internal battery was at 2%, we would be very, would it be a very different world and you would be much more vibrant, joyful, healthy, balanced, uh, and, and, and clear. So we take care of our devices and our cars but more, more often more than we take care of ourselves. So think about what you can do to nourish yourself physically, emotionally, mentally, 
and spiritually. And you will find that you will be able to get more done with less effort. You'll feel more powerful and resilient to actually find ways to find win-win solutions with others and to bridge and listen. Beautiful stuff. It's a fierce civility. If you're listening to this on the podcast, the book is out. Go to joeweston.com and check out all the opportunities to get the book. I highly recommend it. And I think this is a season where we need people who can be fiercely civil and change the world, Joe. I really do. Thank you. Yeah, this is fun. Always fun to talk to you. So thanks everybody for hanging out with us today. Go check out the book, Fierce Civility, joeweston.com, and also go to my website, pastor-paul.com. I want uh, you to help me continue to grow the work of uh, the Pastor Paul community here. So pastor-paul.com, you can subscribe, you can look at my coaching services and all the things we do there, because we need people who are fiercely civil and able to do a little bit of conflict and hang out. We'll talk to you again soon. God is not mad at you. God is not mad at the world.